I like to say too, like every every donation is a it has a human behind it. It's a human being that has multifaceted. They're you know a whole person, mind, body, spirit. They have it. They have it all. It's not just the donation. So looking at things in that way of saying this is a human being that gave us a portion of their income or their assets. You're listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast brought to you by KevKayat.com. Kev helps nonprofit leaders deliver more impact faster and easier so they can be mission accomplished in 40 hours a week or less. For more information, visit KevKayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results. Now, here is the host of Nonprofit Problem Solver, Kev Kayat. Hello, Kev Kayat here. Welcome to Nonprofit Problem Solver. Brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events platform, 100% free to nonprofits, and PodPro Audio making professional podcasting easy. Thanks for tuning in. Just to be clear, you are actually the nonprofit problem solver. And as host, my job is to extract from our guests the practical, tactical expertise that you can put straight into action. This is a recording of a live event hosted on Yachtme. Did I mention it's 100% free to nonprofits? Find out more at y.yacht.me. That's W-H-Y dot Y-O-T dot you can join me on these live events every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific. Register at yacht.me or nonprofitproblemsolver.com. You can find me, Kev Kayat, at kevkayat.com as well as on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. Join the Nonprofit Problem Solver Club on Clubhouse and the Nonprofit Problem Solver Facebook group to get all the latest practical, tactical advice on being the best nonprofit entrepreneur you can be check out my coaching programs at nonprofitentrepreneur.com. Can your nonprofit survive on major gifts alone? Do you have enough loyal donors to keep you afloat? Maybe in your case, they're the same people, but it's easy to separate the size of the gift from the frequency and take for granted the people who give us $10 or $25 month in, month out. Today, I discuss with fundraising coach Amanda Moore how and when to choose one group of donors over another, because, as always with nonprofits, it depends. And we are live with Nonprofit Problem Solver, episode 37. I have, uh, sorry, 36, sorry, 30, episode 36. <laughs> uh, I'm joined here by uh, Amanda Moore. My name is Kev Kai, it's your host, and uh, Nonprofit Problem Solver is the weekly podcast brought to you by Yachtme, the virtual events pro- uh, platform that is 100% free to nonprofits, and uh, PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. So, uh, Amanda, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Kev. I um, I appreciate it, and I like your sign in the background. Wednesday, let's get out and win it, right? Yeah, that's what it's all about. As a as a uh, professional fundraiser and fundraising consultant, you want to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background and your career, and how you uh, how you've been associated with nonprofits and got to the point you're at now. Yeah, um, I've had a lot of experience with nonprofits um, over the past decade. 
I actually started my career um, as a social worker and really just wanted to help people on the individual level. And then um, as I advanced a little bit more, I started to see that I had some different kind of skills, I guess, um, that were a little more business oriented, um, analytical, um, and finance driven. So I ended up going back to school to get my master's degree in nonprofit administration um, and management. And since then, I have been in development work and fundraising. So I worked for um, four nonprofits uh, before I spun off on my own about six months ago, started a, a new consulting agency um, that's a little bit different than most consulting agencies. I work with small to medium-sized nonprofits and really get in the weeds with them. So I'm really, um, I mean, my clients are long-term, year-long contracts. I do some project work, but um, a lot of it's just getting in the weeds and really getting into involved with their processes, their procedures, um, and getting to know who they are so that we can help move them forward. So is it is it sort of like a staff augmentation type of role? Are you really sort of part of the team, or are you are you really still hands off and advising folks? Yeah, or some um, combination so I, of both. <laughs> yeah, it is a kind of a combination of both. There's a there's definitely like um, some learning as I go with this model because it's a very is a different model. So there's a lot of that. Um, sometimes I'll I'll be a little bit more hands off, um, but one of my things really that that I want to keep as a boundary is the relationships belong to the nonprofit. So when I'm advising the nonprofit, it's usually always I'm coaching them um, on how did a call go or, you know, what calls you have coming up this week that um, you need some advice or input on. Um, I'm not the one really making the calls for them or doing any of that kind of stuff. So, um, it's really an advisory role in that aspect, but they, uh, my clients often do say, you know, they couldn't do it without me. So, well, that's a that's a that's a good testament. What, yeah. Um, uh, what what sort of programs do you offer, or is it just straight consulting? And how can people find you online? Yeah. So, um, nonprofit um, management and development coaching is really kind of what I've landed on to describe what I do. Um, but it, it, it does get into the nitty gritty. Um, I have vast experience and background in annual giving, planned giving, major gifts, grant writing, um, budgeting, all the things that go into fundraising, development, and nonprofit management. So I really work with the small shops, typically shops that don't have a full-time development person. Um, maybe the executive director is in charge of fundraising and they just need a little bit of support. And you can find me on uh, com or Amanda Moore on LinkedIn as well. I, I love connecting on LinkedIn. It's one of my favorite. And so, so that's the best place for people to find you. When we say uh, more fundraising solutions, it's it's more as in your name, M-O-O-R-E, not more as in <laughs> several <laughs> additional. Correct. Yes, it's definitely a wordplay. Thanks for pointing that out. Yep. Right. My last name is M-O-O-R-E, so it's more M-O-O-R-E fundraising solutions.com. Right. Okay. Yeah, this is the uh the, the benefits of uh, of an audio format uh or you know or a video in 
in this case, depending whether you're watching the, the, the replay or uh, whether you're listening to the podcast. Um, we're happy to have you either way. So let's jump into our topic. Uh, here, the question, uh, the problem that we're dealing with this week is, should I cultivate major donors or loyal donors? Uh, so let's unpack this a little bit. Uh, uh, now, I'm going to say I'm going to guess that the the real answer is it's not an either or. You want you want donors who are both la- loyal and major. Uh, but if you have to choose, uh, which which one should we be choosing? Which one should we prefer over the other? Yeah. So I think um, that you're correct. The answer is absolutely both. And the other answer that I'm sure everyone can guess is it depends. It depends. <laughs> you know, it depends. So it really depends on where you're at um, in your shop. And and I think the the idea behind this conversation is to not forget about your loyal donors and to continue to cultivate them maybe in a little bit different of a way than major donors and to really look at um, your major donor program in in the realm of your capacity. Because I one thing that I see a lot is that nonprofits will go to trainings on major gift programs and this and that. And they're these small shops. Maybe they have one or two people that are dedicated to fundraising and development work. And they're going to these shops that are really, these workshops that are really directed towards um, universities with multi-major gift officer teams, you know, like, right. They're, 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 it's kind of like going way over the head of a lot of people and and they're going, wait, how do I implement this in my shop? You know, when I have one or two people here. And so I think, um, a lot of what I do is say, you know, it's okay. Like we can use some of the stuff that they talked about in this workshop and we're going to pare it back down and we're going to, we're going to focus on what you can accomplish within your capacity. Right. There's always a difficulty translating what you've, you know, gone away to do some sort of training, whether it's, you know, a day or stuff that you do online and, and translating it back into your day job is, is a challenge in itself. Yes. Yes. Cause a lot of it's like, it's, it's such a big, massive, like you can get as deep in it, deep as you want to in any of these things, you know, whether it's grant writing, major gifts, loyalty donors, plan giving, like there is a lot to learn in all of them, but what can you focus on now that's going to have the biggest impact? And I think for a lot of small shops, it's, you know, the major gift, it's not necessarily a dollar number, but it's who are those people that you want to have a relationship with in your nonprofit? Who are those people that are going to help bring your nonprofit to the next level? And a lot of times they can maybe start off, you know, who knows, they could start off giving $100 and just kind of throw in $100, but they have the capacity to give a lot more. So who do you want to have a relationship with? And those are your major donor prospects and who you should be reaching out to is, more it, often. Is, so it, what I was going to say is just um, just to pause just for a moment to make sure that we are clear what our, our definitions are in terms of you know what constitutes a major donor and how would you uh, designate a, a loyal donor just before we get too deep into it uh, in terms of comparison. Uh, sorry, comparisons. Uh, how often do you have to give to be considered loyal? Is that is that from year to year, uh, or is that? I mean, I'm sure that doesn't mean just your monthly recurring gifts. Yeah, I would absolutely count monthly donors in with loyal donors, whether they give five dollars a month or a hundred dollars a month. Um, 
those those monthly donors are the people that have a long-term commitment to your organization and really you know every month they're writing out a check or they're getting money deducted from their account so um there's those um, any kind of recurring donation really what i would consider a, a loyal donor um also the donors who are giving annually at that loyalty where you know you can count on them every year for their donation around christmas time you know you've got those those donors that do that and maybe they're only giving a hundred dollars a year or a thousand dollars a year um but for but they've given for you know three to five years and i would really look at those um maybe three to five years they've consistently given at least annually those i would consider you know cultivating as a loyalty donor right okay but early on if you've only been around for a year or two um uh you know it might be difficult to detect exactly who your your loyal donors are and particularly if you've if you don't have a monthly recurring program yet uh, uh, <clears throat> side note you should get one uh it, and and if you if you're or if you're just you know just creating one and it's it's in its early stages and you're you know you're still trying to accumulate those those donors it can be difficult uh and then this then you have this conundrum about you know major or loyal because uh early on you know really cash strapped and want want to get uh we'd love to reel in a a, a nice uh large donation but of course it takes a lot of time to cultivate those relationships whereas perhaps some of the lower ticket loyal donors are are less time consuming to uh get re to get that commitment from them yeah and i think that's where the strategy comes in where you're looking at major donor cultivation as you know a 18 to 24 month process so in order to get um, a large gift especially when you're first starting out it's going to be difficult because people don't know you they yeah. don't know your track record they don't know how you are with your finances um, they don't know if they give you a major gift what's going to happen right so you want to um i say it's kind of like dating you know you go out on the first date and you don't ask somebody to marry you and have kids you know <laughs> like they you you need to get to know someone and this it's the same thing with with major donors they need to get to know you and trust you and um, see that you're you're having the impact that they want to see with the dollars that they give so that's going to be a really longer term process um, and that's why i say you know really looking at those donors that have the capacity and the affinity for your cause to start to cultivate those relationships and start you know introduce yourself maybe ask for $2,000 or $5,000 to begin with just to kind of get that relationship going. And, um, and then after, after a few years, then you can start to move towards some of those larger gifts. Um, with the loyal donors, um, you, your process might be a little bit different. Um, you're going to start to, you know, communicate more with social media or, newsletters emails and stuff like that where you can cultivate some of those smaller lower level month, maybe even monthly donor programs that you're talking about um and, and it, you'll be working with a larger group of people that can afford smaller amounts every month and really cultivating that loyal base there 
Um, but the individual donor relationships for the major gifts, that's kind of going to be that chunk of time that you're looking at. Yeah. And that was that key word, the individual, because uh, I think one, one way of d distinguishing between these, uh, we've had this discussion on this podcast before, is um, one way of considering major donors is uh, is one-to-one -one relationships. Mm -hmm. And and everyone else is a, a sort of one to many, uh, and, and and it doesn't mean it's not reducing them to a, a transactional uh, sort of Facebook or, or digital approach where you, you you know you don't have any relationship really whatsoever except a few clicks, um, but it but it's not the 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 sort of human one to one personal relationship cultivated over time where where, where that dating metaphor really applies. Right, right. And I think um, with with the loyal donors, when you're grouping them in to like you're segmenting loyal donors, maybe they're maybe they're volunteers of your organization that you do and that you do actually have a personal relationship with and they give monthly um, and maybe maybe they're in that second circle of people who maybe come to your events and maybe you have a phone call with them once a year. Um, I always loved, my, one of my favorite things to suggest is to have a thankathon at least once a year where you get your board members involved, your, your core staff involved, and they're making phone calls to thank donors at every level so that every level donor does have some personal contact with the organization. And it's not that really impersonal click email relationship because we do want right. it to be more than that. But in both cases, we, we are talking about long term. Yeah. Right. So, so major donors, there's a there's a time commitment. You said eighteen to twenty four months just to cultivate the relationship. To to um, to, I mean, there may be some uh, smaller ticket donations uh, along the way, but really, you're cultivating a major gift, uh, mm -hmm. and and that person. Uh, is looking at uh, making a significant impact in the organization and being able to take uh, a program to the next level or to solve uh, a, a, a problem within that program or or help uh, help push it along in a major way or create a new program in some cases. Whereas lo loyal donors, uh, there is also a long term element, uh, but it's uh, it feels looks and feels quite a bit different. Yeah, I think um, with loyal donors, they want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, but they really maybe don't want to be, um, they want to have an impact, but as part of a community, as part of a group. So having your loyal donors in a community makes a lot of sense as well, because then they can say, hey, I am a, a part of this giving club for this organization. I am a sustainer. I am like... I am one of the people that help this organization sustain their programs. Um, with major donors, you're you're looking at yes, they want to have an impact. They want to take you to the next level. So, really being open with major donors about your strategy and your vision is super important. Making sure that they're involved on the ground floor of any planning for your programs and. And, or any capital plans that you have for their major gift, so that they feel very involved with this process because that's what they want to do. They want to have a huge impact. Um, with a lot of loyal donors, they really are like, I want to be a part of this community, but I trust the organization to make those decisions. Um, 
where I don't need to necessarily be involved with your like strategic vision. <laughs> all right, of right. that. Well, I mean, that it's a difference between, you know, if you were putting in a for-profit situation, the, the, uh, as a parallel, the, the loyal donors would be like loyal customers who are going to buy your products, but are not expecting to be involved in the running of the company in any way. Um, but would be, you know, they would love to participate in focus groups and surveys and tell you what they like and don't like about your product lines and, and th that sort of thing. Whereas a major gift, uh, uh, a major donor rather, is uh, as an investor and is, it is having some uh, part in, uh, in not ownership in, in, in the for-profit sense, but is um, helping to, uh, again, push the organization along at a strategic level, not at, not at, the, not at the point of uh, uh, what you might refer to as a transaction or purchase in, in the other case. Right, right. Um, and I think, uh, and some of it does come down to capacity as well. There's a lot of loyal donors like myself. I'm very community minded. I'm very much passionate about the organizations that I, that I support. And would I, if I had the capacity to give a major gift, want to have that kind of impact on an organization and a community? Absolutely. Right. But at this point in my life, you know, in my 40-somethings, and um, I, have I have family members that, that need me, and I have other financial commitments, there's just no way for me to give a major gift. Um, but that's where I think these loyal donors can be cultivated um, into planned giving donors. So you're really looking at these loyal donors in their 40s and 50s who are really starting to think about, you know, their finances, their future, mm -hmm. they're, they're maybe writing their will for the first time, or they're um, creating plans for retirement more seriously now than they were in their 20s and 30s. Um, and so you're really looking for those people to, to make a planned gift of future assets and where they can really have a major impact in money that might not be coming today, but maybe committing something in the future. Yeah. I, I want to come back to that uh, dimension, uh, the distinction you made earlier, uh, which I uh, think is really interesting between uh, being part of a community, part of a group as a, as a loyal donor, not whether a recurring donor or, or, or you know, monthly giving program or, or, or some other form of loyalty, uh, versus the, the the major donor, um, where I, again I think the the group dynamic is 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 important in that that, that what what motivates those uh, giver those donors to give in in, in that situation and, and their the the form of participation is is it feels different, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I love the the club feeling. Right, like being a part of a club or a community of some sort, it feels good because then you, you know there's other people that feel the same way. They're giving at the same level as you are, and they can experience things at the same in the same way. So giving recognition to that group of people is important as well. And it doesn't have to be trinkets and anything, you know, crazy, but like if you have an event and you have name tags at your event, maybe having like a special color name tag for your monthly donors or your loyalty donors, um, where they feel like they're like, I, 
I am a part of this organization and I am right. part of this club of people who support this organization loyally. Um, and that may, it does make people feel very good and being a part of something that's bigger than yeah, it, And it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, the donor experience, if you will, and that donor journey. And if, and, and it, it's sort of being intentional about cultivating loyal donors and thinking of it as a group experience rather than a range of individual experiences, but at different levels. And yes, I hope they keep doing this and become loyal. What, what you're suggesting in, in this case is, is, is a deliberate approach to crafting a, uh, a, a group dynamic, a, a membership approach, if you will, even if it's not designated as such. But getting that group feel, whereas obviously with the major donors, it's all about the one-to-one. You mm-hmm. know, as you said, some people, you know, you be, it's fair enough to presume they want to know about strategy or at the ground level about something, but some don't. <laughs> some may not. Some may want all the newsletters and, and, and social media posts. Others won't. They want a phone call from the ED or the board chair once a quarter. You know, there's, and, and what you do, of course, in those situations is craft a very individual uh, uh, experience for those major gift donors because it's a one-to-one situation. Uh, but, but going the other extreme, something I've not seen a lot spoken about is uh, a donor journey and a donor experience, which is deliberately group focused. Yeah. And um, I think I love that you're using the word donor experience and donor journey, because I think that's the, that's where I come from a lot when I do my coaching is I think about it from the point of view of the donor coming into the organization and how do they feel along that process? How are, how are they being thanked as a new donor? Are they being welcomed as a new donor? Do you know that they're a new donor? Uh, <laughs> is that exciting to you? Are you making it a big deal to them? If so, that donor is probably going to feel very, like, very appreciated. And it's probably going to shock them a little bit of like, oh, they really know. They know that I'm a new donor. And so then what do you do after that? Right? Like. Right. As a, as a new donor, what are the ways that I can get involved when I'm not a major donor prospect? How can I still be involved in the organization and feel like I'm a part of this? And so giving them the, those options of becoming a member of the organization or a loyalty club member or volunteering or coming to events, that's a very important step in that donor journey because New donor, if you don't have any communication or any way for them to get involved after that, they're probably going to forget about you very quickly. Well, you would think at least some sort of acknowledgement and thank you, whether it's a, a you know a thankathon sometime in the future. But I, you know, if if you're not going to embrace people when they when they come into your tent, then uh, you know it's going to set your stewardship up for um, a very difficult amount of work to do to bring that back right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's it is great embracing them making them feel welcomed being a good steward and a good host um because you're if you they want to support your organization it's such a good testament to your cause when somebody donates because it's not just a 
transaction for them. A lot of times it's like, this is, you've made an impact on them where they want to come alongside you and be a team member in this cause. So I think where a lot of organizations and a lot of times I start out my coaching is with this concept of don't be afraid to ask donors and don't be afraid to bring people into your cause and and rally them together because people want to be a part of this and you don't have to do it on your own. And oftentimes it even might seem almost arrogant to donors when you try to do everything yourself. So if you're if you're not asking donors and you're not out there inviting people into your cause, they might see it as they got this covered. They don't need me. You know, like well, it also I'm going to go where I, I feel needed. Right. Well, and it matters who who or how well you as the organization can distinguish between those different audiences. And you, you I mean you actually have to know the people who really care about your organization. <laughs> Who, who do want to be a part of it, who want to be invited, who want to be asked uh, and, and, and want to participate in, in some way. Volunteering, for example, uh, I'd love to have your donors volunteer and your volunteers donate. Uh, but if, if your, uh, your sort of insights and intelligence about the people who are, uh, say, new donors or small ticket donors, for example, uh, is, is, is to, to, to treat them as almost passersby, <laughs> then they're, they're, they aren't going to feel like there's an opportunity to participate in a greater, more meaningful way. Right, right. And, and really bring it, like you said, bringing those people into your tent, making them feel welcome, no matter what the size of the donation is. And then, you know, offering those opportunities to continue to be involved and to be a part of a group. And I think if that's the case, if I... And in and, and doing it right away, right? Not like this. I mean, the thinkathon in the future is great, but as a new donor, right. when you walk through the experience yourself, like I do, I have multiple organizations that I give ten dollars a month to because I start out that way, and and it depends on how I'm greeted as a new donor, how I'm how I'm treated. Like, am I being invited to do other things, or am I being asked constantly? too that's the other thing like do i get asked once a week for stuff but not not invited to be involved in any other way or you know volunteer right. come to events do a, a monthly donor program am i just being asked all the time like i don't right. want is to your role in the organization purely or you know is it limited to financial donations or right. are there other ways to participate that's what i mean about embracing uh which is you know i think I prefer that to um, <laughs> to stewardship, which sort of I don't know it seems a sort of cold, distant uh, word to me. Yeah, um, I, you know, I like the idea is that if someone's you know decided to to hand over money or time, in fact, as a volunteer, that you you know you <laughs> it's it's time for hugs. <laughs> yeah, or fist bumps or whatever you whatever, want to yeah, do. Right. right. Yes, of course, COVID appropriate. <laughs> Uh, recognition. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a hugger too, so I know I kind of miss them. But um, yeah, I think I think you're right on with that whole concept of feeling embraced as a as a small level donor. And like I said, like the reason you want to do that is to one make them feel included. Two, you don't have to do this on your own. 
right? It's not just you and your board or, or just you as the executive director pulling this organization forward. It's, it's the community involvement. This is your donor involvement. Mm -hmm. um, you really couldn't do it without them. And two, like this donor in the future, like you want to look at what their lifetime contribution is going to be to your organization in the future. Over years, this loyal donor is probably going to give a substantial amount of money. And then they, they're all also probably very open to having a discussion about planned giving at some right. point. I know I would be after years of giving to the same organization if somebody were to call me and ask me to have a discussion about um, a future, a planned gift of assets. Yeah, so like let's time, have a, a loyal donor becomes, uh, you know, a a major donor in, in quotes, even without giving a major gift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's just more of that, you know, really cultivating those relationships and, and making them feel a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Does, do you, do you think, do you see this in, in your work where, where organizations sometimes uh, divide have two too tight a division of labor where uh say a, a donor whether new or not is getting uh communication from say the development team or even the ed who's who, who's who's covering it all puts on their development hat and writes an email to the donors and then you know with a with a, with a programmatic hat is writing out to volunteers and, and the, you know there's it's almost too segmented where um perhaps then donors are not being involved because they're getting a, a sort of narrow uh, uh, line of communication rather than uh, a more uh, in inclusive approach. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I I like to say too, like every every donation is a it has a human behind it. It's a human being that has multifaceted. They're you know a whole person, mind, body, spirit. They have it. They have it all. It's not just the donation. So looking at things in that way of saying, this is a human being that gave us a portion of their income or their assets. And so what drove them to do that? You know, what, what spurred that inside of them and how do they want to get involved in the future or right now? And making and asking and posing that question with every donation. And so yeah. if you don't have the capacity to call every donor that gives and say thank you and ask those questions, then how else can you do it? And I think the, the way that you can do it is to, to form these groups, these giving clubs, this feeling of being involved in a community where you don't, you're not stretched too thin and you, the community does the work for you a lot of the time and making that feel of, you know, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Yeah. So Again, we'll sort of return to, to this uh, uh, initial question. If you are stuck for time, if you feel that your capacity for effort is, is limited and you, and you have to really choose, do I commit 18 to 24 months to pursue you know, one, two, three, however many major gifts, or do I um, push that back maybe 12 months? And this year, what I'm going to do is really try and uh, develop uh, a better approach to cultivating loyalty in all our donors, some of whom may be part of a recurring monthly gift program or, or other, other indications of loyalty. 
um, and, and sort of refresh your whole approach to development around that group identity with the expectation that at, uh, sometime in future you will then uh, have some uh, uh, bandwidth for that one-to-one approach um, once you sort of have this, uh, what's the word, uh, platform or um, base of, of, of loyal givers mm-hmm. created. Yeah, and it's, it's such a difficult question, right? Because um, the, the answer is that you do want to prioritize both. Um, I think where, where I tend to start out, if an organization is just starting out, right? They, they are introducing their organization for the first year fundraising. Um, one of my clients right now, they've been around for a few years, but they've never really had an, an effort uh, development effort. So they've had family and friends kind of donating and they haven't had a, a real strategic effort for, for development. And we started uh, an approach that kind of covers all the bases, but really it's about getting out there and introducing yourself to the people that you want to know. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, we know in our community who the major donors are and get right. and just introducing yourself and having the expectations of, I know this major donor is not going to donate to me the, the minute I introduce, them, introduce myself <laughs> because they have a lot of different causes that they support and chances are they're going to want to get to know me. So it's setting those expectations for major gifts, I think is important in the beginning and to say, mm-hmm. this is going to take a while and that's okay. It doesn't need to be rushed overnight. You know, we've done it so far with nothing. So we're just going to introduce ourselves and get that process started. Um, and then also on the other end of getting the process started with your loyal donors and, and doing more on the marketing side of things. Um, I think it's just, just get started, I guess is my, right, my advice. Right. And it's okay that if some weeks you're not, you don't get any donations, you get zero donations, you know, cause right. it happens. And, yeah. and the next week you might end up getting $6,000 from various sources and you're like, whoa. I'm going to call Amanda and say, you know, this is awesome. <laughs> but it's, it's really, as you said, it's, if, if you're out networking and actively promoting yourself and talking to people, you never know who you're going to bump into, who you're going to be introduced to, who knows somebody, who knows somebody, who knows somebody. Uh, as, uh, as I like to say to my coaching clients, it's, a, it's, it's you, you work your network to work your network. Mm-hmm. You work your network to work their network. Uh, and, yeah. and, and it's, it does take time. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it takes a long time, as you said, but whilst the, uh, that 18 to 24 month clock is ticking on, uh, uh, on major donors, then you're, you're, you're getting, you're attracting, uh, other smaller donations all the time. Yes. Yes. So, so I guess in other words, there's a strategy to, to cover both is really through this uh, idea of networking. Absolutely. And being open to opportunities, always having, always being open and expectant of different opportunities. I think having that attitude is really, to me, that's the winning attitude of, you know, don't, I mean, it's easy to get down and get discouraged, but always at the end of the day, be hopeful for what the next day might bring and what, because you never know. 
I get phone calls out of the blue sometimes where I'm like, I totally wrote this person off. I didn't think, you know, anything of it, of this interaction. And then all of a sudden, you know, out of the blue, it's, hey, so-and-so gave me your name. And I'm like, who? You know, like it, it, it just, it, you don't know these little seeds that you're planting around when right. things are going to pop up. And so just be expectant of that. Um, and it, you have to plant the seed though. If you don't plant seeds, there's nothing's going to grow. So right. be out there what you sow, right? planting seeds. <laughs> right, right. Reap what you sow. Uh, um, and, and that's right. If you're not out, you, 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 can't, you can't grow anything if you don't plant any seeds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that. Just be open to the opportunities that, that come to you. And having, the, I, having that mindset, too, of the two different strategies in the beginning, like I know that I need to have a strategy mapped out for major gifts at some point. And I know I have to have a strategy mapped out for loyalty donors um, at some point, but in the beginning, you're right. That, that common thread is getting out there and talking to people. If that's all you do today is get out and talk to people about the mission of your organization, you've done something. Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> and exactly in the future right. you can divide right. and, and conquer. Yeah, and and uh, particularly for early on, uh, and I think this is true both for nonprofit and for profit entrepreneurs, is networking, 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 and asking the right questions and listening and uh, and being part of those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and really being um, curious too of your networking. You're provided provide value to other people in your networking, and always be just don't write people off. You know, like don't write people off as being somebody that couldn't provide anything of value to your organization. Cause you, like you said, you don't know who other people know and who is in their network they could introduce you to. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah. so we answered the question as both and it depends. And then I think we came back to both, <laughs> <laughs> which is, which yeah. is great. You know, um, <laughs> The no, question is really a dramatic question and you think that there should be a, a, an answer to it, but um, I don't think that there really is. I think as you get started, you do what you can on both levels. You don't beat yourself up at the end of the day and just keep moving forward. Yeah. And I think this is the nature of, of, of nonprofits and nonprofit problems, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, that they do seem like intractable questions or, uh, really tough choices, and sometimes it's an artificial choice. You have to, in in many cases, uh, do do more than one thing, or or try and or pursue uh, several answers simultaneously. Uh, you know, and it, 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 but of course, it, you know, at any one particular time, you're doing one particular thing, uh, and it's getting that sequence and order uh, and level of priority straight in your head. That's that's yeah. uh, that's a big part of it. Okay, well, this has been a fun conversation. I really appreciate it, Amanda. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Kev. I, I really enjoyed it. And can you remind folks uh, where you are online? I know you said you love to connect on LinkedIn, so I'll, I'll, I'll plug that one for you. Um, although I think we met on Facebook. <laughs> um, oh. Uh, do you have a Facebook page for your um, fundraising solutions? Yes. Um, I am on Facebook and LinkedIn, more M-O-O-R-E, fundraising solutions um, on both platforms. And then my website is morefundraisingsolutions.com. 
Excellent. Okay. Well, I hope uh, people can find you there if they want some coaching on uh, nonprofit management and fundraising, uh, and and particularly at a uh, cultivating both major and loyal donors. Thanks everyone for joining the Nonprofit Problem Solver. This was episode thirty six with Amanda Moore. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're here every Wednesday at eleven a.m. Eastern. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Problem Solver Podcast. My guest today was Amanda Moore, who you can find on LinkedIn, as well as morefundraisingsolutions.com. This podcast has been expertly produced by Glenn Munoz at PodPro Audio, making professional podcasting easy. Go to podproaudio.com. You can join future conversations live by visiting nonprofitproblemsolver.com. Connect with Kev on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. For more information, visit kevkayat.com. Because good causes deserve better results.